Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, sacked for doing my job. Former Borders watchdog boss hits out at the Home Office over his dismissal. Fury as policing pro-Palestine marches cost taxpayers more than £25 million. And campaigner Alan Bates blasts the post office and tells MPs it should be sold for a quid. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here at Talk TV. It's all kicking off tonight, and we're going to give you a ringside seat for all of the action. Round one. It's me versus the BBC. How is Hugh Edwards still on the public payroll? Round two. I'm taking on the junior doctors. What in hell's name are they still on strike for? And round three. Former presidential contender Joe Walsh is coming after me from America, where Joe Biden's talking ceasefires while he's eating ice cream. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get ready to rumble. Now, earlier today, UK Border Chief David Neal gave evidence to a parliamentary select committee after being dismissed via video call by the Home Office. Neil had spoken out on serious security failures at London City Airport, allowing hundreds of high-risk private flights into the country without even basic scrutiny. This is what he had to say about his sacking. As far as the big picture's concerned, you know, I've been sacked for uh, doing my job. Um, I think I've been sacked for um, doing what the law asks of me, which I think is a, is a, is a crying shame. I think I've done my job extremely well. I've been candid with this committee. I, I think I've worked very, very hard um, with the Home Office to try and um, work with them to, um, to achieve what needs to be done, achieve what the legislation um, asks of me. I've exposed things that are going wrong, things that are going wrong that affect national security. And I've sought to communicate those problems to Minister Perslove. Um, I saw, actively sought uh, an urgent meeting with him, but that meeting was, was cancelled. So I didn't have the opportunity to communicate what I deemed to be significant failures in the effectiveness and the efficiency um, of the border. Um, and I was unable to do that, uh, and then, you know, the, the rest is history. David Neal, who was asked by the Home Office to do an inspection of all the various points of entry into the country, and surprise, surprise, he found out they weren't very secure. And when he said that they weren't very secure, he lost his job. Let's talk now to former MEP, Mr Rupert Lowe. Rupert, very, very good evening to you. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham uh, after the shenanigans of the by-election business. What can you tell me? I mean, who would have been at all surprised by any of this that the Home Office doesn't like being told it can't do its job and also that the border force is completely and utterly useless when it comes to protecting our borders? Well, Mike, um, as I've said to you in the past, I think um, legal and illegal uh, immigration is now a national emergency. Yeah. It's a crisis. Um, and when net migration in 2022 was the equivalent of two cities the size of Bristol uh, coming in, and I used that analogy when I stood in the Kingswood by-election, uh, that is simply unacceptable, and it's forecast to continue at an unacceptable rate. Now, I mean, we've seen 
the post office uh, submasters being uh, mistreated by a state-owned entity, the post office. And it's of no surprise to me to see uh, this apparently decent, upstanding ex-military uh, civil servant doing his, who's doing his job clearly, and he's telling us the truth, and he's concerned about a potential loophole, further loophole, uh, in uh, which is allowing people to come in illegally. Now, I have to say, I have flown on private jets on a number of occasions, and I have rarely had my passport inspected. I've often wondered uh, how that can happen. Uh, but I'm assured, I was assured, or have been assured, that uh, the roster of who's on the plane is given to uh, immigration, and ultimately they have the right to come and inspect passports. But I've been to several different airports uh, on at least two occasions with shotguns, and uh, I've literally hopped off the plane, no passport, nobody to inspect my passport, and I've carried my guns to my car and driven home. Yeah. So... I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that uh, David Neal is right. Uh, and particularly when I read that, um, you know, that the Home Office can't actually produce the statistics that they're using to shoot down his, his argument. I think I'm inclined to accept his argument, given the incompetence of, you know, our border control, our, our, our general sort of approach to immigration, and the fact that it seems almost as if the, the, the sort of government is in, in, in cahoots with this globalist agenda for open borders uh, and, it, and, and destruction of, nation, of the nation state. So uh, the British people voted to take back our nation state status, status in 2016. And I think Mr. Neil raises a very topical issue. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged that uh, honest, decent people like him are coming forward and telling us the truth. Yeah. So I, I'm, it's extraordinary that James cleverly has sacked him. It does What's seem, he got to gain from telling us the Well, truth? it does Nothing. seem extraordinary, particularly in the method uh, that he chose to do so. Um, and I spoke to Kevin Saunders, um, who's a guest with us again tonight as well, before, former uh, Chief of the Borders for us. Um, and, Kevin, you were very clear last time we spoke about this story um, that you didn't think that um, David Neal had got it right because you said, you know, there is a roster, it is always given over to whoever is checking the plane... And as I said to you, well, yeah, that's all very well, as long as the people on the plane match the people on the roster. And if you're not checking, you don't know exactly necessarily that the guy who says he's got such and such a passport has actually, is actually that guy. I mean, has any of this today changed your mind? No, it, it, I'm, I'm sorry, it, it hasn't. Um, so you're it, saying David exactly Neal's got it wrong? You're saying he's got it wrong? Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, Mr Neal should not have leaked to the press. That's he a separate leaked... issue. Well, yes, it is a separate issue, but we wouldn't be having this if he hadn't leaked the wrong information to the press, would we? Well, I can only assume he has a good reason for leaking, and he may explain that um, in, in subsequent days to this. Maybe he decided that the Home Office were going to bury the report that he gave them, and he thought it was worth actually being published. And so there could be very good reasons why he's actually physically a whistleblower and he's lost his job as a result. I'm, I'm not convinced that you're right and he's wrong. Well, I'm sorry, Mike. Senior civil servants should not be going to the press without the authority of the politicians. In every That's situation? The rule. In every situation? Yeah, in, in every situation. We're employed by the government to do a job. And David Neal was leaving in March anyway. He could have held on. He didn't have to do what he did. 
he his team were given wrong information and, and, and that shouldn't have happened, but they were given wrong information. They were told the information was wrong, as I said in your program last week. They were told the information was wrong, and yet for some reason they they went with the wrong information. So one, they went to the press, which they shouldn't have done, and two, when they went to the press, they went with wrong information. Okay. So that's wrong well. Let me as go well. back to let me go back to Rupert Lowe. I mean, Rupert, I find it extraordinary that this uh, sort of narrative is, is being... And I mean, I've got a lot of time for Kevin. I've got no reason to think he's, he's not telling the truth, but I find it hard to believe. I, I don't understand why he's uh, confusing it with uh, the rights and wrongs of, of, of leaking to the press. The key thing is here, is, is Mr Neil telling the truth? Uh, and that's the... That's, I haven't heard him uh, uh, justify how he's not telling the truth. Right. And as I said just now, I don't understand what Mr Neil has to gain from telling us the truth. He's now lost his job. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, unless I misunderstand it, uh, the, the, the Home Office is saying they haven't, they've lost the data that substantiates yeah. what they're saying right. versus what David Neil is saying. Right. So uh, let's see the information that they say they've got that substantiates their case. But yeah. until we see it, Mike, I, I'm inclined to believe Mr Neil uh, rather than our, our own Home Office, I'm yes. afraid. And, Kevin, I think that's a fair point, isn't it? Because if the Home Office could prove him wrong by producing this data, they would do so. But they can't, funnily enough, because they don't have it. You know, in addition to losing thousands of immigrants who've come to this country and they don't know where they are, they've now lost all, lost all their data. So why should we believe a word they Mike, say? that's another thing. The Home Office have admitted in the past that they don't know the whereabouts of 17,500 yeah. uh, people who are on the asylum seekers list. Right. Uh, they've admitted they don't know where they are. Well, that doesn't fill one with great confidence, no. does it? No. Let, let me ask you again, well, Kevin. I mean, what has Mr Neil got to gain by producing false data and false information and giving it to the press. What would he do that for, knowing that he was going to lose his job? Well, I have no idea why he, he didn't go for the right information which his team had been given. Um, I have no idea at all. But, I mean, I this, is a guy, week, this is a guy who served his country, has worked in the Home Office, for the. he was appointed in 2021. He doesn't appear to have any kind of record of going rogue. He doesn't appear to have any record of, of telling mistruths. Why are you so sure that he's done it this time? Well, I, I, I don't know what his reasons are. No doubt his reasons will come out when, when I assume he takes uh, cleverly to court for, for being sacked. Um, but I can only go back to what the information that I've, I've been given, right. and I've been given it in writing, that the, the information that uh, London City provided was wrong when it was fact-checked by the people at, um, at Marsham Street, they found the faults, they apologised, they said, look, we've made a mistake. Um, this data is incorrect. They provided the correct data, but for some reason, the report came out with the wrong data in it, and mm. it shouldn't have done. Now, you but can now blame... But the have lost all the data, so they can't the prove it. Place. Pardon? But now the Home Office have lost all that data, so they can't show it to us. Well, I'm sure that they will be able to find the detail because there is going to be emails whizzing around from senior managers. I, I mean, I know what happens when you get the when the wrong data is given. 
you dig out the emails, you find out what's been said, who said it, where it was said, why it was said, where the information came from. So I am as sure as God made little apples that that data could be found. <laughs> well, that's uh, a very interesting my, my, uh, point my, to bring through, up. Through, uh, through uh, we're out of chair. time. Rupert, one more thing from you. Go on. Through the chair, can I ask Kevin quickly, so how is it that I can fly in on a private jet, land at Denham Airport, uh, with two shotguns, not show my passport and walk to my car and drive home. I mean, if I can do that, surely it's not beyond the wit of man to suggest that, as Kevin says, uh, if the roster is incorrect, if there's nobody there to check it's incorrect, it can be happening, surely. Yeah. Right, Mr Lowe. So, so yes um, or no, First I think, of Kevin... all, when, when you boarded that aircraft, information would have been passed to the United Kingdom. We would know you were on that plane, all right? Now well, you know I was on it, but you wouldn't know there's other weren't other uh, other people on it, though, would you? Well, the the authorities from where you took off from are responsible for supplying us with the information. But what if they've been and bribed, Kevin? What if they've been bribed? <laughs> what if he's coming in from some war-torn country? But then, then in that case, it's down to the pilot to pass right, the So there's a lot of holes in the system, it seems to me. Listen, yeah, we'll yeah, have to yeah, do this more, Kevin. Thank you yeah, very but, much indeed. But, I admire I admire your steadfast defence of the Home Office, which is completely useless in every other area. But thank you very much indeed. And, Rupert, thank you to you as well. I'm a bit worried about all these shotguns you're bringing into the country, but we'll talk about that um, another time. It's not all doom and gloom, though, because finally some sense has prevailed in the corridors of power after the government announced a U-turn on plans uh, to house asylum seekers in a tiny town amidst a housing crisis and where public services are already stretched to breaking point. It was only last week I brought you an exclusive interview uh, with a spokesman for the Millam Community Action Group that vehemently campaigned against the government's original proposals. Dean Myers is back and he joins me now. Dean, um, I'd like to claim some victory here, but I don't feel I can. It's down to you. It's your victory. Uh, so congratulations. Tell us about it. Uh, good evening, Mike. Uh... I don't think it's just down to me. I think it's down to the Millen community, to be honest. Uh, uh, amazing few days after quite a, a hard few weeks, really. Yeah. Uh, to get it in black and white was a massive relief for us all, I think. Yeah. And you basically were told, telling me last week that there was about 40 asylum seekers who were going to be housed in what looked like single occupancy units in shared housing in a particular street in a very small town which was not really capable of dealing with that number of new residents, if you like. Um, no, no real transport links. You said there was, I think you said there was a GP, but there's no dentist. Um, how do you think this happened? Uh, I don't know. It just, <clears throat> it just come on as all of a sudden. It was just, it spread like wildfire. It was word of mouth. And it, it was just, it was shocking, really. And the amount of people that were just left... Um, not knowing what was actually going on, um, and it it was it was basically community spirit that just said, right, enough's enough. We need to find out what's going on, and we all mucked in together and and got the result that we, we that we got. But you said before about forty, um, they were the seven, uh, the eight um, houses that were that were going to be licensed. Right. On top of that, were, I think the council stopped another fourteen coming in. On the back of that, there was there was investors coming left, right, and centre right. for houses. So what will happen to those houses now that they were preparing for the asylum seekers? Um, we're, we've got a few ideas. Um, I know the builders and that are still working on them, but um, we, we have a few ideas 
Um, I can't really let too much out the bag yet, but okay. there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of talk in what we want to do. But basically, we want to put these houses back into the community. Um, there's a lot people are really passionate about doing it, and and I, I think it's a really way forward that we that we do start to mm. you know to do something for the community without social housing. Yeah, absolutely right. Because the last time you and I spoke, it looked as though there was everything was kind of being put on hold. So have you now been told that? It's absolutely not happening. Yeah, we had a, we had a, a town meeting, which I think I talked about last time we spoke, yeah. Mike. Um, and it, it was it was amazing. It was there was like three hundred people inside the Palladium in town, and I'd say there was about another three hundred outside. Right. Um, Trudy Addison um, was was there along with uh, I think Simon Fellow, who's going to be the new MP, and I was unaware till about halfway through the night and. She, and Trudy come out and said, I'm going to tell you now that the Home Office have made a decision and they aren't coming. Right. It's, it's, you, you, will, you will get a, a, a statement. Um, so the next day was basically waiting for the statement mm. to come, really. Right. Um, it came at quarter to midnight. She, she messaged wow. me at quarter to midnight with the statement. Yeah. Well, it does prove, doesn't it, that if you do ask questions and if you do challenge and if you do put up your case in a way which is perfectly reasonable... You can win. Absolutely, it's it, it. It's just it's so wrong what was happening, and I, I think, I mean, there's been a couple of towns up and down the country that are getting in touch with us now, and I mean, I'm too busy at the moment, really. But this, the saying, you know, this is so wrong. Yeah. You know, why are they targeting these towns? I mean, Millam is just out on its own, and to and it, it it's unreal that they can actually target and. Mm and destroy a community over yeah. just she agreed really yeah right without even asking you for your permission in the first place so once again um dean it's a great result so well done to you and all the people in in millam um and hopefully you'll give some inspiration maybe to some other communities around the country who will face similar situations in the coming weeks and months i'd like to think so yeah i think the community deserves a massive pat on the back i know I can't walk down the street with people thanking me, but yeah. basically, it, I'm just, I've just, well, our group's just been a voice for them, but it just shows when people pull together, uh, our town's proud little Cumbrian town, really, and they all stood together, and this is the result that we got, which is the right result. We knew that from the start. Yeah. Absolutely right. Well, brilliant. Good to talk to you again, Dean. Thanks very much indeed for taking the time uh, to talk to us. Going to have a, a celebratory drink, I think, would be very wise. Dean Myers there, safety advisor, who led the campaign uh, in Millham, which was facing the prospect of having loads and loads of sort of um, uh, landlords renting properties to the Home Office or Serco, one of the companies involved uh, in public contracts with the government, and basically moving a load of migrants into a very small community, uh, which is always a bad idea no matter what on earth you think you're talking about. So well done to Dean and well done to Millam. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Coming up, taxpayers are forking out £25 million so far to police these pro-Palestine marches. I don't know what they're doing, though, because they might as well not be there. More on this coming up next. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've got some breaking news for you.
You're never going to believe this. There's yet another Tory MP who's in yet another bit of trouble and there might be yet another by-election. Scott Benton, you might remember him, former Tory MP, actually, um, has been suspended from the House of Commons for 35 days uh, for various jiggery-pokeries that he's been involved in. We'll be discussing that uh, coming up in a little while. But yet another headache for Rishi Sunak. Can anything go right for the guy? For heaven's sake... Shall we have a general election or not? Now, let's talk about what we did last night, because last night on The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, uh, we were looking at accusations the Metropolitan Police are doing very little at the ongoing pro-Palestine marches. Now, ministers have warned these demonstrations are putting an unsustainable burden on the police, already wasting more than 26,000 shifts and costing the taxpayer at least £25 million so far. So, surely... It's got to be something, something to be intervened, isn't it? We can't carry on like this. We've got our panel with us in the studio tonight, Special Projects Editor at The Spectator, Ben Lazarus, journalist and broadcaster, Emma Wolfe, and barrister and broadcaster, Andrew Eborn. But first, let's go to former Detective Chief Inspector, Mr Mike Neville. Mike, a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Um, I was on with Jeremy Carl this morning saying that, you know, I think there's a way that you can get... get dealing with these protests now, because it seems to me that they're no longer just protests. They are now, you know, incitements to various things. You know, last week we saw the demonstration outside of Westminster. We heard the words that were spoken. People were being urged to rise up, urged to sort of occupy offices, urged to put the parliamentary um, estate on lockdown. You know, this is no longer just a simple protest. Surely it's more than that. Absolutely, Mike. I fully agree. And, and there is uh, laws in place where if a demonstration has got a significant impact on the community, uh, then it can be banned or, or directed to be uh, somewhere else. And we can see the significant impact this would have on the Jewish community. And we know that the police have, can apply to the Home Secretary to have marches banned. Because a survey done of the 12 marches that were banned, of course, 10 of them were extreme right wing, that's mm. sort of the uh, English Defence League, that sort of stuff. So we know if the police have got this, uh, they want to, they can take action. And of course, they could set some sort of uh, agenda around this, right? You can do it once a month. You can do it in Hyde Park and you can do it between X and Y times. Yeah. Uh, because what's happened at the moment is, I think they're saying that 4,000 shifts have been lost. So that's 4,000 times of an officer, eight hours, where they should be patrolling the street mm. in uh, Clapham or Brixton or Tottenham or Thamesmead, wherever it is, uh, stopping burglars, robbers, rapists and the like. But these people are taken away to deal mm. with these other things. And that's just the visible side. So that you, But you've also got senior officers who, rather than planning uh, operations to reduce theft and burglary, the things that impact on us all, uh, they're focusing on these marches. And, of course, when you've got... Uh, there's lots of videos they've got to watch, so detectives have got to scour through CCTV to see what uh, anti-Semitic or other awful and illegal phrases are uttered, rather than watching uh, footage of somebody committing a, a robbery, a burglary, again, those everyday offences that the police should be dealing with. Well, it seems to so me that I would also... argue that allowing these marches every week is a big problem. Yeah, it really is. And it seems to me they've got a very large operation going on at Scotland Yard proving that things that everyone else thinks are illegal actually aren't really illegal, like uh, firing up from the rivers of the sea onto Big Ben, um, which apparently, if you say it out loud, can be illegal. But if you project it onto a building, which happens to be the government building, it's not illegal. 
Well, it's ridiculous, Mike. What happens here is we see it time and time with the police, particularly with left-wing causes, is that they tend to look at the law and interpret what the courts may or may not do. But that's not the police's job. No. The police's job is to make arrests if they have reasonable grounds to believe somebody's committing an offence. So you arrest these people, take away their projector, and then the courts can make a decision. But what tends to happen is that if you're a left-wing or fashionable cause, you get a lot more slack than if you're the EDL, Millwall fans, anti-vaxxers, or an unfashionable cause. And that, that's really bad, because what it does is it ebbs away at the trust and confidence in the police who should be impartial. Yeah, absolutely right. Mike, thanks very much indeed for, for, for your guidance on that one. Let's get the panel involved here with this one. Ben, I mean, it seems to me that if you're the police, what you do when you see somebody projecting that onto the House of Commons uh, is you first confiscate the projector and then you drop it on the ground and accidentally kick it so that it doesn't work anymore, don't you? Yes. And... I mean, you know, I remember the good old days of the old special patrol group when they used to go yeah. wading into to various crowds and just crack a few heads. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any arrest at all. I mean, no. we, we, we've spoken about Big Ben, but um, uh, whilst the gentleman was speaking, there was there was clips from Tower Bridge, yes. and they shut that down on Saturday. Which was completely unannounced. They had no yes. permission to do that, right? And in that clip, you see a lot of faces, mm. you see car number plates, yeah. and yet there's been nothing in the last couple of days about anyone being arrested no. from that um, incident. No. Um, well, you might well say, Emma, that they're saying it's costing 25 million, and I'm sure that's true, but I mean, I'm not sure what the police are doing for the 25 million. They don't seem to be doing much police work. Exactly. What are they doing yeah. for that money? There's the money, there's the obviously the police, the resources, the time, but also I think uh, the, your detective there made the point, the amount of everyday crime that yeah. is already, yeah. even before all this started on October the 7th, mm. the Palestinian marches, it, that is already not being investigated. The kind of confidence in the police is at an all-time low. People don't... We don't even bother reporting right. things like burglaries no. or domestic abuse, probably. Rape, street violence, knife crime, all of the things. Mm. Shoplifting is completely unpunished. Yeah. There is so much. And I think... And I actually think that now we need to start looking at whether you need a separate police force yeah. for these public events. Huge... Just Stop Oil, mm. another one. Yeah. Huge public events. If they're going to continue being allowed every Saturday, every weekend we can't go on like right. this the police actually need to get back to what their core function is mm. meant to be yes. which is what keeping our streets safe uh, keeping us safe in our homes yeah because they're certainly not doing that and, and keeping they... our streets safe includes presumably keeping london bridge tower bridge and oh, all the other uh, bridges uh, open hundreds of for people being set yeah up. and actually it is an offense i think to, to, to project onto a yeah. to a public building it's, i'm i'm so i'm told that it is i read this yes. earlier on uh, over the weekend that, you know, people have done it in the past for sort of stunts, but it is technically illegal to do. Yeah. And you can stop people from doing it. If you know who's doing it, you can find them. Yeah. And it seems to me as well that these are no longer simply protests. They're not simply demonstrations, They are intimidation They are deliberate well. intimidation. Yes. Um, they are dangerous for people, not yeah. for perhaps for all people, but for a lot of people. Um, and they are very expensive. And surely the police must now do something. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, they, they say it's the biggest period of sustained pressure on yeah. the Met since the Olympics 2012. Right. If you look at the cost, you talked about 25 million. I think it's close to 30 million, mm. according to some reports. Yeah. What happened, actually, in 2019, the police were able to get some money back from football clubs, yeah. for example, about 5.5 million. Yeah. I think we should look at that. So whilst there's a right for everybody to protest, there's a cost element to this. Right. Who are you going to build well, maybe some of the organisers. Send a bill to Hamas in Qatar. Well, had some of the organisers. They've got plenty of money. If they, if they've got some sort of responsibility. But the other thing is we've, we've got laws in place, as we've always said on this mm. show. There are laws in place. They're just not being right. enforced. And that's wrong. It is totally wrong. And, you know, at some point... I mean, I've been saying this really since last October, you know, when Sula Bravman was asking for the police to actually 
do something mm -hmm. and ask for the marches to be stopped, yes. which they then wouldn't but do. this comes back to kind of the Lee Anderson comment. Yeah. What is the Mayor of London doing about this? Right. He is in Nothing. overall control mm. of the Met Police. Right. Maybe not operationally, but he could he not do that? I think he could he can't say to not them... Say, this is not mm. acceptable any longer right. in our capital city. I mean, one of the things that people have suggested is, is to say that they will need to give more notice yes. before they do something. Yeah. But, of course, they didn't give any notice for Tower Bridge. Yeah. And it seems... I mean, I was just last week driving into work one evening and there was a big crowd of people outside Southwark Council just demonstrating with waving Palestinian flags. Don't even know why. You know, it's but just it's sort of flash mobs now. If they shut down now. Tower Bridge, we mm. would be arrested. Absolutely. Just without yeah. question. But, but the police seem to be scared to enforce yeah. the law, and that's the problem. On, right. got to... on one side. That's the problem. Yeah. Not they on are. both sides. No, that, that is the problem. It's unfair and it's, it's not sustainable. Definitely yeah. not sustainable. But anyway, listen, coming up next, an ex-Cabinet minister calls for MPs to go back to COVID-style conditions and work from home. Plus, the divide deepens as Tory MP Lee Anderson holds talks with rivals reform. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stay exactly where you are. Welcome back. Labour MP Harriet Harman has suggested MPs who feel vulnerable should be able to work from home. Known as the mother of the House of Commons, Harman made the comments in a bid to protect MPs' personal safety amid growing concerns that threats and intimidation is impacting the members' way of life and the way that they vote. This comes as Lee Anderson stood by his position and refused to apologise again to Sadiq Khan after claiming Islamists have control over the mayor. The panel's still here with me, um, so, I mean, we have to talk about Harriet Harman I'm slightly disturbed that since the events of last week that the Speaker of the House, Lindsay Hoyle, and now Harriet Harman, are suggesting that they should change their behaviour inside the House of Commons in order to appease the baying mob of pro-Palestinians outside. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's, it's pure cow kowtowing to them. Yeah. Um, just like it is with the, with, with the protests and the mm. police. Um, yeah. And now our sort of political system has been taken over and intimidated by sectarian politics. Yeah. Um, I find it staggering, Emma, do you not? I mean, we've suddenly got to this point. And I, I, don't, I mean, I'm not going to say I warned about it back in October, but, you know, the idea that we're having by-elections which are being fought over an issue which is technically foreign, in a foreign land, where two different groups of people who happen to have some that live here are fighting. And whatever happened to the mother of all parliaments? I mean, yeah. you do see debates in the, in the chamber mm. which are pretty much empty, mm. and that is depressing as well. But the idea that they're all going to go and work from home, well, what, what do we have left? Forget it. Let's abolish Westminster. Yeah. Well, I think they might have to be a bit careful, actually, because if they do start, you know, issuing these kind of orders and saying, well, we're, we're all in danger, so we're not going to leave the house. So what are we, everybody else supposed to do? I mean, some of them have got bodyguards, we understand now. Yeah. Well, they have drivers and personal yeah. security. And, and they can get that. And but they none can of the rest that. of us can. But the rest of us don't. Yeah. No, it's absolutely important that anybody should fear for their life whilst doing their job, and I think that that's a big, big issue. Um, the, the, the scandal, and it was a scandal about the Just Stop Hoyle last week uh, and the fiasco that we saw, but bearing in mind, obviously, it was party political base. Mm. What the SNP wanted to do was to show up the division in the Labour Party. That was the whole idea yeah, yeah. of that sort no, of No, but thing. this is not because of that, though. This is because of what was happening outside. Mm. You know, this was because they were feeling And threatened. things like Annalisa Dodds being sort of followed out of a yeah. constituency event last, you know, you know, yes. the um, 
She labor yes, she, uh, she was she was treasury, wasn't she? Yes, yeah, she yeah. was. I can't remember. What she I don't was. know why because she can't add up. But that's not. I was at university with her. Were you? Well, there you but go. I just, can't, I just can't remember what she does now. But anyway, shadow something. Um, yeah. And she was followed and you know needed needed police escort right. basically home. Right. I mean that is absolutely just not acceptable. Because this intimidation will eventually lead to something much worse. It seems yeah. to me. Well, we've seen it before with yeah. David Amos. Right. You? Uh, exactly. But I mean, you know, it's not acceptable, I don't think. You've spoken about this, Emma, before. I know that, you know, what used to be a relatively civilised country is becoming less civilised as the days pass, yeah, really you know. Agree. And it's one thing to, to, to get up a speaker's corner and make a, a name for yourself and start saying things that might be considered a bit inflammatory. Mm. But to follow people around and go to their houses yeah. uh, and to threaten them, but, yeah. but again, we, we should enforce the rules which are in place. Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen, because otherwise, as you're right, it's going to escalate. Right. And we've already had... But we've been saying this since October, and exactly. now it has escalated. But also, exactly. people have been quite open. Just Stop Oil last week was saying, we are going to occupy mm. MPs' yep. homes. I mean, whether they can or not, and hopefully there is enough protection in, you know, so that they won't endanger people. But the idea that you can threaten... But they think that's acceptable. Their, home, their family, yeah. you know, their children who live in those homes, mm. that they think that... But they're allowed to get away with that, Mike. That's what staggers me. Yeah. Well, that's the time to step in when they, as soon as the threat is, they arrest them at that stage. Yeah, but, but that's the issue. We've basis. sort of created a two-tier policing system, which has then meant that people feel like they can behave with yeah. impunity exactly. and, and do what they like. And, and a lot of that has to do with people of the... bloody genocide. Right. They're calling yeah. MPs. You know, right. that you, yeah. you, you well, are. Well, look at the people that were outside Tobias Elwood's house. You yes. know, he's got young kids inside the house. It's disgraceful. Mm. And then, of course, you get the judiciary, who, once you get the characters to court from Just Stop Oil. They then let them go on the grounds that they believe what they're doing is a good thing. Whereas, you're going, Sorry, whereas as you say, if Tommy yeah. Robinson shows his face anywhere in public or a football, yeah. you know, football crowd, yeah. they're on the pavement being having their, you know, exactly next having their rights taken away. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Lee Anderson because he's still managing to make the news pretty yes. much uh, by hour by hour. Um, he's, he's given this. a couple of interviews and he's continuing to give interviews to say that he's going to not say sorry. Um, supposedly having had, had a meeting with Richard Tice at Reform. I don't think everybody at Reform is all that keen to have him on board, from no, what I can gather. It, it might be a bit of a personality clash. I think um, we were talking about uh, just in the break that Tice had, had referred to him as a pound shop, Nigel Farage, before. <laughs> yeah. um, that said, with the Tories in disarray, Reform... You know, Politicians have got very thin skins and very thick skins when they wish to have them. Yes, right. so, and um, Richard Tice, I'm sure, is a big yeah. enough boy. He can handle that if he wants him on board. Yes. And uh, they could do with the, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's a, not a star signing, but it's, it's sort of probably good publicity for them. There's probably a good yeah. audience for it. So, um, Well, he could do that thing, which I hate when MPs do it and decide to suddenly be an MP for reform without actually having a by-election. Right. He could do that because right. that's the first chance they'd have of getting an MP, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. An interesting move. And, and, and he's deliberately not apologising. You have to ask why. Yeah. Is that to appeal to certain people within the electorate? Well, I, I, I don't... No, I thought, fact, actually, his state... Sorry, sorry, Mark. I was going to say, I mean, I actually took my hat off to him for not apologising because I'm sick okay. to death of politicians saying things and then saying, oh, sorry, I didn't mean yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Which is what we saw Paul Scully do today. Yes. After saying there's no-go areas, he's now saying he's sorry he said it. Yeah. Well, why'd you say it then? Yeah, exactly. He's Although not sorry, we could have done with um, Ed Davey apologising, couldn't we, <laughs> for the actual post office well, no, because, scandal? <laughs> I mean, no, because in the end it doesn't mean anything. It was anything. such weasel words. He said it in ten different ways. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry for what happened. You know, it's the non-apology. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, so, so I, often, so often it's the case they're sorry they've been found out, right. not sorry for the initial thing. So you're right. A bit of honesty about it. He's not yeah. sorry he said it at all. No. no, but I thought that Lee Anderson's statement was actually quite interesting and quite measured, and he was explaining, he was clarifying yeah. what he was trying to say. He acknowledged. Yeah 
that his words were clumsy. Yeah. And I think we can all see that what he said was wrong yeah. about yes. directly aligning mm. Sadiq Khan with Islamists yes. and with extremism. That was wrong. Yeah. But I think he made a very, very powerful point about what is happening to our yeah. capital city, which is what we've been talking about yeah. this evening. And when he clarified what he was talking yes, about, he and then he then brought the police into it, yes. he was right about that. Yes, because the police have been um, forced to get rid of some of the advisors they brought in who were from Muslim communities, right. who it turned out had sort of some very dodgy connections yeah. with some extremist groups, yeah. and some of them had been filmed shouting from the river to the sea, yeah. you know, which they've now more or less decriminalised. Yeah. yeah, there was a terrific Saturday when the police, um, the Metropolitan Police Twitter account was sort of like tweeting out uh, an explainer on uh, a protester who was calling for jihad. Yeah. yeah. And they were explaining right. that it was, it was part of like a spiritual yeah, yeah. journey. Rather yeah, they than, understood. Um, and they yeah. had special interpreters who had interpreted it in this instance. They understood that jihad was meant in a peaceful right. Yeah, a peaceful yeah. spiritual what? journey. Oh, no, and this is what I mean when I'm sort of slightly tongue-in-cheek saying they've got a special unit that just makes things look legal, which right. are not legal. In the same way that they did another explainer about the Hamas flag. When somebody had a sort of what looked like an ISIS flag, and they said, "Oh, that's actually not quite an ISIS flag. You know, it's black. It has got Arabic writing on it, but it's not actually saying the things that the ISIS." And you go, "Come on! The, the, the guy's waving a flag which looks like an ISIS flag. He's doing it for a reason. The same way people are wearing Hamas headbands, paragliders you know, on their jumpers. They're not just, you know, like super fans of Hamas." You know, they're supporters. But, but once they feel they can get away with that on yeah. the streets and the police are turning a blind eye and almost encouraging it, then the, the, the next step to harassing an MP is not, it's not a it's massive not much. jump. No, because they'll go, well, we've got right on our side because they think they're right and they can get away with it. So what, why, why do you think the popularity of Sadiq is increasing? Because if you look at the polls... I'd like to moment... answer you, but I haven't got time. OK. I'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. uh, you're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. After the break, post office execs are grilled by MPs who actually came to work and the BBC apologises to the family at the centre of the Hugh Edwards scandal. Stay exactly where you are. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now it's time for Taking the Mic. Nine months ago, the BBC received a telephone call informing them that their star newsreader and number one high earner, aside from Gary Lineker in the organisation, had been paying a teenager for explicit and inappropriate images. The phone call started a chain of events which ended today and has proven to yet end up to be yet another nail in the coffin of our once proud national broadcaster, now a shadow of its former self and a pale imitation of what it was once set up to be. Hugh Edwards was regarded as the jewel in the crown of BBC News, but the telephone call revealed that he had been leading a bizarre double life, seeking thrills with the troubled teenager in question and possibly others as well. Indeed, it transpired that Edwards had paid £35,000 for sexual images from the teenager over three years. But the BBC didn't act on the allegations at the time. The shocking contents of the family's telephone call were passed to the Corporate Investigations Unit, and that was where the buck stopped. An email was sent to the family, followed up by two telephone calls, but due to there being no response, the complaint was parked. It was only several weeks later when the Sun newspaper went to the corporation about the story that something started happening and the BBC then took action. Today, a BBC report into the incident has concluded that there were, in their words, shortcomings in the way the complaint was dealt with. It was not escalated quickly enough and now the family in question have received an apology from the BBC. But I'm afraid this isn't good enough. It took two months before Hugh Edwards was suspended by the BBC as a result of the complaint and he was not named by them. 
Far from it. He was even in attendance at several high-profile events with senior executives of the BBC after the complaint was made. And he was only identified as the man at the centre of the scandal when his own wife outed him publicly, claiming that he was suffering from serious mental health issues. Edwards has not returned to work since and is understood to still be on full pay. In the meantime, the BBC has been at the centre of several storms, not least accusations of anti-Israel bias in the way that it's covering the war on Hamas, which it still refuses to call a terrorist organisation, also accusations of pursuing vulnerable people through the courts for non-payment of a TV licence, and just this week, deliberately insisting on calling a sick, violent trans killer a woman. Lee Tavaziza, who is the BBC's chief operating officer, said today the organisation will improve the way complaints against staff are dealt with, and whether Hugh Edwards ever returns to his £500,000 a year salary remains an unanswered question. It's our money, and I would suggest he doesn't. And by the way, Ms Tavaziza used to run customer relations at British Gas. Now she's on 417 grand a year at the BBC. Well, isn't life grand? Now, MPs heard from those involved in the post office scandal today. Former Chairman Henry Staunton said that he was left in no doubt that he should stall payments in the compensation scheme after a meeting with a senior civil servant. Again, contradicting Minister Kemi Badenoch. He says he's been subject of a smear campaign that has trashed his reputation. Earlier, the institution's current CEO, Nick Reid, insisted the government never told him to slow down payments. Our correspondent, Oliver Whitfield Mircic, has been following the proceedings. Mike, despite everything that has been said previously about wanting to get justice for the sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses who were wrongfully accused in this huge miscarriage of justice by the post office, it seems that there's even more bad news down the line for those hundreds of affected former workers. Today they were told not only that the compensation scheme is going to face probable delays of potentially one to two years, but that the costs of that compensation scheme for us, the taxpayers, is still going to go higher than the £1 billion that has been set aside. We heard from three former postmasters who were telling us just how difficult it had been for them even to get started with putting in their compensation demands, how they had been not believed by their communities, having to get bank loans, raise funds from their credit cards, all in a bid to pay off the debts that never existed and which the post office was wrongfully chasing. Then when they go to put in their claims, they've been told that they've got to go to the post office to get information from them. 45% of people who've gone to do that are still waiting for that information. They then got to try and get information from their doctors. They've got to prove the financial losses that they're suffering. And all of this at the same time that they just want to get their lives back on track. The person that we probably most know in all of this is Alan Bates, who was front and centre in that ITV documentary, who's also been front and centre in trying to get justice for all of the former sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses. He was asked today how they can fix a problem like the post office, and he certainly wasn't backwards and coming forwards with his ideas. My personal view about post office 
is it's a dead duck and it has been for years and it's going to be a money pit for the taxpayer for years to come and you should sell it to someone like Amazon for a pound, get really good contracts for all the serving sub-postmasters and within a few years you'll have one of the best networks around. Mike, Amazon says that it will not be commenting on that and nor, it seemed, did the book... No, three, two, one, take two, two, one. Mike, Amazon says it won't be commenting on what Mr Bates has had to say and neither, it seemed, did the current CEO of the post office, Nick Reed. He was trying to make a swift exit through Paul Cullis House into the tube network here in Westminster but luckily I managed to catch up with them and so I put that suggestion from Alan Bates about selling the post office for a pound to him and this is what he had to say or rather what he didn't. Do you agree with Alan Bates that the post office should be sold to Amazon for a pound that they'll do a much better job than what the post office is doing? Why is it taking so long to get compensation to the victims, the sub-postmasters? Mr Reid was more chatty when he was facing the committee members earlier on inside the committee room here in central London, saying that he understands that some of the schemes are running more slowly than what they should be, but also he wants to make the post office more open, more transparent, and to try to get things moving along quite quickly. It's at this point, though, that the story really goes into that Westminster bubble element, because if you cast your mind back a few weeks, you'll remember that the former chairman of the post office had spoken to a reporter from The Times, saying that he was told by a senior civil servant to go slow on those payments to sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses to help the government, and this is his quote, limp into the next general election. That set a firecracker off here with the business secretary, Kemi Badenoch, denying that that was what was being said, saying that instead Henry Staunton had been sacked because of investigations that were into him. In the ensuing weeks, what we've had is a he says, she says blame game that's been swirling around with documents provided by both sides. Well, today, when Henry Staunton was giving evidence, he stuck by that story, refusing to budge away from it, and then added fuel onto the fire, saying that Nick Reed had been unhappy with his pay at the time that he was working at the post office, demanding a pay rise on at least four occasions or threatening to leave, something that he then went to speak to Grand Chaps about, who was the minister in charge at the time, who said no, that was not the case. And then to just throw an extra few grenades about, he then said that Nick Reed himself was the subject of an investigation by human resources. Nick Reid, though, for the matter, says he was not pressured by anyone in government to delay that compensation payout to the sub-postmasters and sub-postmistresses. So the blame game continues to rumble on here in Westminster. All the while, we've got the affected people who've been chased by the post office, hounded through the legal system, put in jail in some cases, and in tragic cases, people who have died from that, their relatives 
are saying that they need to have quicker access to the money, the system needs to be less bureaucratic, it needs to move faster and they need to be heard now. And I think it's this part of the story, the human struggle, the absolute terrible things that all of these people, the hundreds of people who've been caught up in this post office scandal, that's the part of the story that people will identify with most. You're watching The Independent Republic with Mike Graham. Still to come, Prince William misses a royal event, citing a personal matter, uh, and is Peppa Pig turning American children into brats? I thought they already were. Don't go anywhere. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and of course we're on your smart speaker. Coming up in this hour, the BBC says sorry to the family at the centre of the Hugh Edwards scandal over the way it handled their complaint. A sudden death shock in the royal family as Prince William pulls out of his godfather's memorial service over a personal matter. Plus, US parents say that the beloved British programme Peppa Pig is turning their children into brats. Now, you might be forgiven for not realising there is yet another strike going on this week, but it's not the train drivers or the railway unions, it's not the bin men, and it's not even the civil servants either. But the fact that most of you don't know that the strike is on is testimony to just how fatigued we all are by the relentless socialist agenda of some of those people who were supposed to care for us. That's right, the junior doctors are at it again. They started another strike at 7am on Saturday morning, and they're out until at least the end of the week. It's their 10th round of strikes in the past year alone, and they're no closer to coming to any kind of a new deal with the government. The ludicrously named British Medical Association is still claiming that they need a 35% pay rise. Everyone, including their own leaders, knows this is a pipe dream, and there's even less chance of happening than Joe Biden remembering how to end a sentence. But the number of cancelled appointments and ruined lives is mounting up. In the past year alone, their strikes have taken an ever-increasing toll on the vulnerable, the old and the young. Figures published this week in The Times show that the two hardest hit groups are severely ill children and cancer patients. The three biggest children's hospitals in England have had to cancel 8,478 operations in the past 12 months alone, where there have been 45 days of industrial action. And that is over 10% of the working year. The numbers are frightening. 
3,857 cancellations at Great Ormond Street, 2,852 at Alder in Liverpool, and 1,769 cancellations at Sheffield Children's Hospital. Of course, these, number, these numbers are high as they are, but they're minuscule by comparison to the overall figures. 1.3 million operations have been cancelled in total, including 7,000 cancer surgeries, which will almost certainly lead to worse cancer outcomes and probably hundreds of deaths. How the leaders of the BMA can even begin to justify their action beggars belief. But they are run by callous, overprivileged and ideologically driven leftists who care not a jot for human life or for the customers of the NHS. And that would be, of course, the rest of us that pay for it all. Dr Robert Lawrenson, the co-chairman of the Junior Doctors' Committee, is as odious a creature as you'll ever see in a white coat. He was back on the picket line this week complaining that the government doesn't want to end the dispute. Wrong. The government doesn't want to cave in to blackmail and the doctors don't need any more money. And if they don't care about the elderly, the young and cancer patients, I'd say they've got no business working as doctors at all, let alone working in the NHS. To be honest, I would fire the whole stinking lot of them. And send them this money as well. Bye. Now, later on in the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. But before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at the Sun newspaper. And now what we can see uh, is a story that uh, has upset an awful lot of people. He was on Talk TV earlier on. Taliban take heroes Ben's arm and leg. Council take away his blue badge. Robert Amputee, a friend of uh, Prince Harry's, of course, was yesterday stripped of his blue badge and he fumed, I don't understand how much more disabled I need to be. And, of course, there's pictures of him there uh, running because he has done incredible things in his recovery from the injuries that he got uh, when he was in Afghanistan. But we'll bring you more on that, of course, when the panel return and we look more uh, into what's going on on uh, the front pages and elsewhere. Now, the Swedes have finally ascended to NATO and they've become the 32nd country in the Defence Alliance, ending 200 years of neutrality. But flaring tensions with Russia forced this monumental shift in national identity for the Swedes, with the country preparing for the increasingly likely possibility of war. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's presidential campaign is quickly becoming a reality, but his commitment to NATO has been questioned. I'm now joined down the line by former Republican Congressman Joe Walsh. Joe, welcome back to the Independent Republican. Mike Graham, how are you doing? Michael, brother, good to be with you. Good to see you. We've got loads to talk about, not least uh, the situation in the Middle East, but let's kick off with NATO. Um, Sweden obviously made their intentions clear. Uh, they're a lot closer to Russia than, uh, than we are, and certainly than you are, and you can understand why they want to be in NATO. Do you see this as something that's going to put more pressure on Vladimir Putin to behave himself, or is it going to annoy him more? Hey, I, I just want to thank Putin. I want to thank that thug and dictator because Vladimir Putin is responsible for the expansion of NATO. Mm. Uh, he invades Ukraine and the rest of the world finally wakes up. I hope, Michael, this is a warning to my Republican Party here in the States to get off their ass and give aid to Ukraine right now because they desperately need it. Well, do you know what's worrying is that I was speaking to a military expert um, earlier this week, and he basically said to me that he thinks Ukraine is already lost. 
he thinks that sometime later this year, the Ukraine government will have to admit that Russia has won, not necessarily in every single part of Ukraine, but they will take a part of it and that will be the end of it. No, I, 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 don't, I don't buy that, Michael. Look, uh, Russia has taken, they've lost more soldiers than we lost already in World War II. And I know Putin doesn't give a damn about life and he'll just keep throwing bodies out there like meat. But Ukraine so far is winning this war. They've decimated uh, Russia's uh, navy. Um, Russia's run is running out of equipment. The problem is Ukraine right now desperately needs help and the world is ready to stand with them. Everybody is. But again, Republicans here in America who are enthralled with Putin. I don't know if they're enthralled with Putin, but what they're not enthralled with is giving more tax dollars to uh, the government and to Zelensky. I think that's where people have a disagreement now because you know as well as I do, Joe, that America has seen an awful lot of boots on the ground over the years and I don't think many Americans want to see that being repeated. And you can't just continue to give money when you don't know where it's all going to end, can you? And I agree with that, Michael. Very few Americans want to see American boots on the ground, of course. But we're not talking about American boots on the ground. And when it comes to money, like this $60 billion in aid, this isn't America writing a $60 billion check to Ukraine. This is $60 billion worth of equipment that is already there waiting, made by American companies with American employees, men and women. This stuff's already there. This is not a check. It's what Ukraine deserves. And I, I do beg to diff, Michael, on one thing. Donald Trump is rooting for Putin. Tucker Carlson, who is the voice of the Republican Party, Tucker Carlson has admitted he's rooting for Putin. This is where the Republican Party base is right now, and the world ought to wake up to that. Well, I'm not sure that you will find that an agreement between those who think Tucker Carlson did a good thing by going to interview Vladimir Putin and those who support Donald Trump, because I think a lot of the people that support Donald Trump have now considered to see Tucker Carlson as a bit of a lost cause, you know, spiralling off into kind of madness and talking about how great the streets of uh, Moscow are because there's no bums and it's very clean and the fact that you can get kidnapped off the street and stuck in a gulag doesn't seem to have occurred to him. Michael, I talk to diehard Trump supporters every day. The vast majority of them had no freaking problem with Tucker Carlson going over to Moscow and getting on his knees in front of Vladimir Putin. They didn't. <laughs> well, Again, I don't have a problem I, I with him interviewing Putin. Well, listen, Joe, I don't have a problem with him interviewing Putin. I mean, I'm glad he interviewed Putin, but he didn't get much out of it. Putin got a lot more out of it, it seems to me. No, he'd have done a better interview if he wasn't on his knees for two and a half hours. And he'd have conducted a better interview if he actually asked Putin a difficult question. He'd have conducted a better interview if he then didn't go to a Moscow grocery store and say Moscow is a better city than any American city. Again, most of America was outraged by this, Michael, but most Republican voters weren't. I'm not sure about that, but I'll take your word for it as you're the man on the ground. Let's talk about your favourite presidential candidate, Donald Trump. How's he doing this week? <laughs> hey, I, I, I am nothing but honest with you. If the election were held tomorrow, Donald Trump wins, Michael, and it's not even close. Yeah. Right now, it's not close. Biden has one job. He's got to prove to the American people he's up to the job, and he hasn't done the, that yet. Uh... 
No, exactly right. What about Joe Biden today, though? I mean, we've been playing it all day. I don't know if we've got it here today to play to you, but you must have seen it. Uh, you must have seen Joe Biden announcing that his national security advisers are telling him there might be a ceasefire in Gaza. I think we've got it. Let's have a look. Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. I mean, I don't know what flavour ice cream that was, butternut pecan or, you know, whether it was Cherry Garcia. I don't know what he was doing. What the hell is he doing holding an ice cream cone talking about a ceasefire? Well, Michael, one serious point, and then I'm going to slap you upside the head. <laughs> Look, I wish Biden hadn't said a damn thing about a ceasefire. Right. And by the way, I don't want a ceasefire. The only way there should be a ceasefire is when all the hostages are freed and when Hamas surrenders. Yeah. I don't want Biden saying anything. But, but Michael, come on. The ice cream cone, I love ice cream. I bet you love ice cream. I got no problem with Joe Biden having an ice cream cone. Hang on a minute. You know how American politics works, Joe. This guy is constantly followed around by half a dozen Secret Service agents, probably twice that number of advisers. Surely somebody should have gone, hang on, guys, before the president speaks, let me just take the ice cream cone away from him so he doesn't look like an overgrown, you know, demented maniac. Hey, the guy likes ice cream. Michael, have you ever gone out by yourself and had ice cream all by yourself? No. I have. No. Oh, I'm my not, God. I'm not a big fan you of ice cream. This was me this morning, actually. I brought some ice lollies in to the Jeremy Carl <laughs> uh, breakfast show because I said, you know, we're going to announce a, a, a peace deal with Hamas. You know, you just don't do it that way. That's not... It's like me sitting here, you know, with a pint of Guinness and saying, you know, tonight I'm going to do this show with a pint of Guinness. That's because what, what I always do. You don't do that. Well, well, well it, alcohol may have been a different thing. Like, if he had had a beer announcing a ceasefire, I might have had a problem with that. But, Michael, it was the middle of the day. He's having an ice cream cone. Again, conservative media in America is going crazy about this. He's a regular guy. I love it. He's not a regular guy. He's a multimillionaire who's been nothing but um, a taxpayer's uh, dividend, who has only ever worked in the public sector and has now suddenly, you know, decided that he's the guy that will run the world for another four years. And he can't even work out when to put his ice cream down. Well, the American people will decide if he gets to run the country yeah. again for another four years. And you just told me, and you just told me if the election was today, they would decide that he shouldn't. Agreed. Because, Michael, Joe Biden has not yet made the case that he's up to the job. The American people are concerned he's too old. Yeah. It's up to him and only him to dispel that. Surely it's up to the Democrats to say to him, do you know what, Joe? Thanks very much for the last three years, but we don't really think uh, you should be doing another four. And I think we're going to come to the convention, and I think it's in Chicago this year, and we're going to say to you, you're going to step aside and we're going to find a better candidate because otherwise... You know, I was listening to Anthony Scaramucci, who was on uh, Rosanna's show just before mine, and he hates Trump even more than you do, and he calls him a man with no judgment. Hang on a minute. He's the guy that worked for him. So how much judgment has he got? But he claims this is going to be a disaster for the world. So surely if the Democrats have got any sense, they'll tell Joe to step aside. That ain't happening, Michael. Look, our choice this year is between Joe Biden, who's a decent guy who happens to be really old, and Donald Trump, who is a psychopath, a traitor, and a criminal, 
who Michael also happens to be really old. Every time Trump speaks, he says about 30 or 40 stupid, insane, mistaken yeah, but hang on. things. But hang on, it's not about how old you are, Joe. As you know, you're only as old as you feel, you know. I mean, you might be surprised to find out how old I am, but I'm completely in control of all my faculties. Joe Biden clearly is not. And I'm going to pick you up on it one of the Trump? things. You're alleging that Michael Trump is, is a Trump? criminal. Donald Trump is not a criminal. Some people think he's a criminal. That's not the same thing as being a criminal. And frankly, I'm surprised. Is Trump in control of his faculties? Of course he is. Is Trump in control of, of his faculties? Is. Absolutely. Michael, come on, man. When was the last time you listened to one of his two-hour speeches? Well, you tell me, tell me when, when was the last time he said something that suggested to you that he was not in control of his faculties? The last time he opened his mouth, he and forgot his wife's name. He confused Nancy Pelosi with somebody else. He, he, he said the election was in November of 2027. He's constantly making mistakes. Yeah. If Joe Biden well, maybe said just doing it, was, but Hey, Joe, maybe he's just doing it to wind up you lefties. No. <laughs> See, here's the difference, Graham, between you and me. Yeah. I will admit that they're both old dudes. You won't admit that about Trump. No, I'm not saying that they're not old, but I'm not saying that they're incapable because of their age. Joe Biden is not incapable because he's old. He's incapable because he's lost the plot. And not only can he not remember his, his own wife's name, he can't remember what day it is. That's why he can't be president for another four years. Trump, on the other hand, is completely in control of his faculties. And if he, oh, makes, the odd, if he makes the odd misstatement... I mean, it's easy to forget the name of your wife when you've had a few of them. You know what it's like, Joe. He'll forget what town he's in. He'll for, I'm talking about Trump. He'll forget where he's at. He messes up names constantly. He's always making mistakes, Michael. But we don't, we don't attribute it to Trump's age. We just say Trump's nuts. And that, seems, and that seems even more unfair, and particularly coming from the Democratic side, which I know you're only a recent convert to, but at the end of the day... I'm not a Democrat. I know. Well, you are really, aren't you? You're not really a Republican, for heaven's sake. I mean, nobody talks like hey, you Michael, do. Hey, Michael, I a bet Republican. I'm more conservative than you are. You may well be, in social ways, perhaps, but not in political ways, you know? The point is this. You don't like Donald Trump. Lots of people do. And at the end of the day, it's up to it's up to the numbers game, isn't it? If more people like him than than hate him, he's the next president. Agreed. And again, right now, if the election were held tomorrow, Trump would win. Biden is behind. Thank God we've got eight to nine months, and thank God Trump will be out there saying more stupid shit left and right, which <laughs> will really help Biden. Well, listen, I look forward to continually talking to you uh, as, as we get closer and closer. Might even come over you, and, and join you at one of these uh, Republican conventions. You, you piss me off every time I speak with you, but I, I'm falling more in love with you every this time is, I speak with you. This is the you. same effect I have on women, Joe. What can I say? Thank you very much indeed. Good to see you. Good Thank to talk you, to you. Joe Walsh there reporting into us from the US of A. Uh, still thinks that Donald Trump is absolutely insane. Do you? I don't. Now, here's something slightly lighter now. A pod of dolphins have been spotted in the River Thames near a place called Northfleet in Kent. Volunteers from the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, that's the RNLI to you and I, sighted the two adults and a calf on Sunday afternoon. Now, this is a beautiful thing to see. I can't imagine why dolphins would want to actually swim in the sea, uh, in the, uh, the River Thames, or from the river to the sea. Or in this case, I guess it's from the sea to the river. 
because uh, presumably they came in from the English Channel. The one thing you can be sure of uh, is that the RNLI obviously had to be very careful they didn't do what they normally do and land them up on the boat and bring them into Dover. No, I'm only kidding. Absolutely only kidding. That would be wrong. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Up next, the Sun newspaper is vindicated after the BBC apologises to the family of a teenager at the centre of the Hugh Edwards scandal. Plus, D-Day for Harry as the Duke of Sussex awaits a decision on whether the British government will cover his security. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Prince William pulled out of attending a memorial service for the late King Constantine of Greece at the last minute today for unspecified personal reasons. Queen Camilla was instead the most senior member of the royal family in attendance, with King Charles absent as his cancer treatment continues. It comes after the sudden death of Tom Kingston, the husband of Lady Gabriella Windsor, the daughter of Prince and Princess Michael of Kent, at the age of 45. I'd like to welcome to the show former BBC Royal Correspondent Michael Cole. Michael, very good evening to you. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Um, very shocking story, this, um, about the death of the husband of the daughter of Princess uh, and Prince Michael of Kent. Um, looks very sad. Good evening, Michael. Yes, indeed, it's uh, been quite a day for royal news and none of it good. Buckingham Palace announcing tonight, as you've just said, Thomas Kingston, the son-in-law of Prince and Princess Michael of Kent, died on Sunday at his home in Gloucestershire. Um, I feel very, very sorry for his widow. There she is, Lady Gabriella, known as Ella in the family. Mm. I met her at her father's birthday party in July 2022. She was acting the part of the host and she was utterly charming to everybody. They've only been married five years. She's 42, he was 45. And uh, they married at St George's Chapel, as you can see there, shortly after your favorite people, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, also got married at that same church. And their wedding reception was also at Frogmore House, as well as the Sussexes, but it was very much more, shall we say, low-key. Yes. Might, one might even say in, in, all done in better taste. Her Majesty the Queen, the late Queen, and the Duke of Edinburgh attended that wedding. It, it's very sad. Obviously, there's going to be an inquest, and we'll find out in due course mm. what went on. But as you remarked, uh, it came upon uh, other news. Uh, at that same birthday party... Uh, King Constantine was there. He looked, uh, the ex-king of Greece, he looked in a terrible state on, on, on uh, walking sticks and, and looked very, very poorly indeed. And of course, he subsequently died last year, aged 82. And today was the memorial service also at uh, St. George's Windsor. But very, very shortly before it was due to happen, uh, the Prince of Wales, Prince William, pulled out uh, unexplained why he did pull out. Uh, his people at Kensington Palace said it was for personal reasons, but somebody there made it clear mm. it was nothing to do uh, with uh, the Princess of Wales, Kate, uh, and they offered the view that uh, she was uh, continuing her recovery very well. So we don't know. I think, Mike, uh, you and I, as old journalists, rather uh, commended the... the uh, the candor of the press office at Kensington Palace at the time uh, the Princess of Wales went into hospital, mm. 
I think uh, this is a case when they could be a little bit more candid about what's going on with Prince William, because uh, rumour will start. Mm. People will under, uh, naturally ask what's going on. Yeah. I mean, if it's a toothache, uh, well, tell us it's a toothache. If it's something else, give us some sort of guidance. But uh, in the absence of that, we can only speculate. It's interesting that the Prince and Princess Michael of Kent did attend. They were very close to uh, King Constantine, and, and they did go to the memorial service today. Yes, and the palace sort of hinted, didn't they, that William's absence today wasn't anything to do with this, this death either. So I'm getting... You're right, I'm getting a lot of people asking me now, you know, what is going on with the Prince and Princess of Wales? You know, what is it that she could have that would keep her out of the limelight for such a long time? You know, I don't particularly want to get into whether we'd speculate about what might have happened to her. However, given now that something else has happened and we don't know why she hasn't been seen really since the, the end of last year, right? Since Christmas, really. Um, Absolutely. And, and, now, uh, and now suddenly her husband has some kind of personal matter that stops him from attending something. It's all starting to sound a bit weird. Yeah, I think uh, that's a, a fair description of it. Uh, of course, what happened with Kate, and then we see her uh, in happier times with her husband. I mean, they don't keep you in hospital 13 nights for something which is trivial. It wasn't right. obviously a minor matter. I think, and you would agree with me, she's entitled, enti completely entitled to her privacy, and she will tell us what she wants to tell us about uh, what is going on with her health at the moment and, what, and why she had to go into hospital uh, and what the prognosis is. Um, but this matter with the, the prince pull, pulling out, obviously, since the king also uh, is always to combat, he's, he's uh, there, but he's not there because he's having to keep uh, separate from other people because the risk of infection, infection during uh, cancer care is to be avoided at all costs. And of course, Prince William, this puts him much more into focus and the focus is much sharper because he's taking on uh, the burden of being the king-in-waiting much, much earlier than he would otherwise wish to have done. Obviously, they hoped for a decent interval, that the reign of uh, his father, King Charles III, would be a reasonably long one so that he could uh, spend more time with his family. As it is now, uh, his wife is unwell, unlikely to be seen this side of Easter, and he's at home. He's got three children, 10, 8 and 5 years old, to look after, uh, maybe the pressure is becoming too much for him. Obviously, it would be a strain on anybody, and it's quite understandable if he's feeling the pressure. But I think uh, it would be in the interests of Kensington Palace to actually give people a little bit more guidance about why, uh, not unprecedented, but very unusual, uh, for him to have pulled out at the very last minute, having yes. first, of course, being a gentleman, have made it clear to uh, King Constantine's widow and his uh, his heir, Prince Pavlos, uh, that he was going to do that, and I'm quite sure that they were understanding. Mm. Let me just ask you to put your other hat on just for a moment. The BBC, uh, which was formerly your employer, uh, in more trouble today, having to admit uh, in a report that they were, um, shall we say, less than good uh, passing on a complaint that was made about Hugh Edwards, um, and it looks very much now as though The Sun, which was very much vilified at the time for publishing the story, um, has actually been kind of exonerated, really, because it now turns out that the BBC have had to apologise to the family in question. Um, and BBC, again, failing to live up to expectations. It's absolutely dreadful. And why am I not surprised mm. in this case? 
You know, I think uh, the director general of the BBC is not just the director general. He's also the editor in chief. And in Tim Davey, I'm sure that he's a brilliant marketing man, good at selling cola or whatever it was he used to sell. But he's never spent a single day in a newsroom. Uh, and yet he's the editor in chief. And I think you need to have good antennae uh, on a story like this. You yeah. have to be all over it. You have to be on top of it because otherwise it gets out of control and it turns into a scandal. It's a personal tragedy for the man we're looking at there, Hugh Edwards. But these things did happen. We're entitled to know up to a certain point why they happened, how they happened, and how the BBC yeah. handled it. Otherwise, it's going to look like another whitewash. And, of course, we still haven't got to the bottom in any way, shape, or form of the Bashir scandal, the no. interview in 1995, uh, Martin Bashir for Panorama, uh, Diana, Princess of Wales, when she was the most famous, the most photographed woman in the world, the skullduggery that went on surrounding that and the cover-up afterwards have yet to be made clear. And scandal after scandal, it's not doing the BBC any good as it approaches 2027 and the renewal of the Royal Charter. And what's the Royal Charter? It's its licence to carry on broadcasting. Mm. Exactly right. Michael, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed, as ever, for talking to us. The panel is back with me. I mean, the big question for a lot of people today in the result of this uh, inquiry is how much longer is Hugh Edwards going to be in receipt of his money? You know, we all might feel sorry for him and we might feel that, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that he can't come back to work, which is what it's looking like. But he's on, like, half a million a year. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't worked since last July. Yeah. So how long do you keep him on? By the way, talking of... Uh, uh, of the uh, director general who used to sell Coca-Cola for a living, the woman in charge of all this, BBC's chief operating officer, Lee Tavaziza, um, used to be customer relations officer at British Gas. There you go. And then she's in charge of the BBC. Absolutely astonishing. What's going on? That it took seven weeks. Yeah. Such serious allegations. And the BBC are saying, oh, we get lots of these kind of, you know, un un totally unfounded, right. spurious kind of claims all the time. No, we're talking about the top presenter and also mm. we're talking about, you know, the, the highest paid news presenter yeah. at the corporation. And we're also talking about a family's, um, the, the family of the young person involved. Yes. Contacting them with with specific mm. and very, very, very serious concerns. Yes. The fact that, look, we live in an era of email. This isn't as though someone went into a regional office up in wherever right. and they just didn't talk to the right person. It's an email chain. It's mm. a, it, we live in a culture of HR, of safeguarding. We know that this kind of thing needs to be either addressed or, you know, someone needs to contact the person involved or yeah. the family well, involved. And that's it's the astonishing biggest question. That's that it took question. seven weeks and seems to have sort of fallen down. And it only really uh, came out in public because the son ran the story. Exactly, yeah, I, I, because you know. the, the family, in desperation, mm. got no response yeah. from the BBC and then went to the paper. And, right. and what the BBC said at the time is they get hundreds, hundreds of complaints, which is why it sort of got lost. But the sh spotlight needs to be shine, shone on why they have this particular process, yes. why it took so long. They why claim they're going to improve the process. Yes. Now, going to speed it up. But again... Well, how many times has this happened over well, the years? Right. And that's the problem. You talked about the scandals. Well, there and are so many names, aren't there? Which part of Jimmy, Jimmy Savile, Savile do they Robert not Harris. remember? Surely after Jimmy Savile, they have to be on heightened alert to present yeah. it. You know, I mean... And certainly people did discuss, didn't they, at the time, that, you know, the BBC was a, a place where you were not encouraged if you were, say, yeah. a young production assistant or a mm. young journalist to make any kind of comment whatsoever mm. about the talent. 
You know, you couldn't say anything yeah. about it. You couldn't even dream of criticising yeah. something because it was clear that there was quite a lot of other people who had been affected yeah. by some of Hugh Edwards' activities, yeah. you know. And that there was a lot of fear around right. that presenter yeah. specifically, yeah. actually, um, and, and not being able to... The feeling that you couldn't, well, that you, you couldn't you challenge that Absolutely. It begs into question. I, I interviewed um, uh, Greg Dyke for the Royal Television Society. We talked to Tim Davey as well about the whole process. Mm. And all of this, they always sort of say uh, trust comes in on foot and leads on horseback. Yeah. And if there's ever been a time where trust in the BBC has been at an all-time low, it's yeah. because scandal upon scandal and, and it's about Well, the last 12 months, Ben, have been pretty horrific, haven't they, for the BBC? I can't think of one positive. I mean, when I was talking earlier, you know, you've got the whole, you know, uh, anti-Israel bias. You've mm. got um, Jeremy Bowen, the Middle East correspondent, okay. claiming that the Israelis had blown up a hospital yeah. and then later saying that it was wrong to say it, but that he didn't regret getting it wrong. Yeah. You know, and then only this week we had uh, the BBC leaving out yeah. the rather important information about that horrible trans cat killer uh, who happened to be transgender. They caught, they referred to the killer as a woman, yeah. mm. you know, deliberately misleading the public. Yes, and as your previous guest said, I mean, the, the Bashir stuff is still um, Bashir, yeah. going on in the background This well. goes on and on, yeah. Um, I mean, the strange thing with Hugh Edwards is, if I remember correctly, um, wasn't it Victoria Derbyshire, uh, sort of her programme was investigating... Yeah. Allegations against and, them already yeah, they before were the story was released. Off. Yeah, um, so the BBC don't come out of this well at all. No. Um, as you say, the Sun's pretty vindicated. Um, well, the Sun actually have got a spread in front of me in tomorrow's paper, pages four and five, which suggests to me it might be on the front of the paper as well. Nine months to say sorry, it's ripped our family apart, and that's from the mother of the young teenager who's at the centre of these claims, who was basically paid, let's not forget, 35,000 quid yes. for yeah. a series of, of, of pictures and explicit images over three years. I mean, it's not as if it was, you know, I made a mistake, I did something stupid. Three years it went on, £35,000. You know, you remember the, the Sco, Philip Schofield case? Yeah. And there are questions, and we don't know that all, everything, do we? But there are, you know, suggestions that, that, he was, that they were in a relationship. Yeah. This is different. When you are paying someone, yeah. paying them for cash mm. to send you sexual pictures, and yeah. they are 17 years old, yes. probably younger, actually, at the time. Yeah. You know, I do think that someone of Hugh Edwards' intelligence, and there's nothing to do with his sexuality, whatever gender, we're not, yeah. we're not talking about that no. specifically. Not at all. But you do know what you are doing is not, is possibly not good, and no. you also are aware that you're a presenter at the BBC mm. and that you have a, you know, yeah. position. And, and, and as many people have said as well, you know, yeah. you look back, and I don't know if the BBC have even resolved this particular problem, but when you look back to various important events that Hugh Edwards was the go-to guy for, yeah. you're going to have to hear his voice. Mm. Uh, you know, his career may be over at the BBC, but there's an awful lot of footage which is archived. Mm. Many royal events. Which you can't really redo. I mean, I don't know what you do about that. Well, yes, well you, can, you can redo it with technology, but, but you're right. Well, the no, reality you could. Is, but you can't, I mean, the BBC Rewrite could history, not, yes. could they, no. put out, um, you know, the footage of, say, you know, the Queen's death no. with somebody else's voice. No, they shouldn't. I mean, they can technically, but, but I think but that the reality feels is like, exactly a, that. for many people, that feels very, very disrespectful because yeah. he did break that news. Well, he he yeah. was the voice of the BBC. He was the voice, as you yeah. say, for these historic moments. But now you find yourself thinking, what was he doing while he was doing that, you know? Because the stories that were being told at yes. the time of his behaviour... Yeah. We're quite shocking. Well, but and there's two separate things. There's one, the unwise but not illegal, so sort of rings in everybody's ears for a different sort of case. But this is about the, the whole process. Mm. What happens in the BBC? Have they improved these sort of uh, complaints procedure yeah. as a result? Because time and time again, there's yet another case and so on and so forth. And as I say, that's what's happened. You're looking at these sort of things. Have they handled it in the appropriate way? What lessons have been yeah. learned? Um, and so far, we need to get clarity on that. Sort and of how can you defend? 
continuing someone's salary at right. that level exactly. when it's a publicly funded corporation. Mm. And also, it, I mean, the, the, either they need to make a decision and sack him or yeah. keep him on. But at the moment, in, they seem to be in this yeah. kind of stasis I'm, where he just well, keeps sure getting... Yeah. It would but depend on his contract as well. So you, you don't know if, yeah. if it's... It, I'm yeah. pretty sure you could get gross misconduct out of that. Yeah, I mean, it seems unthinkable. Yeah. I don't well, you, you would in any other company, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. It seems unthinkable we'll see him on our screens again. I mean, I don't to, think to, that, to I don't think there's anyone that would suggest that he's coming back. I think yeah. almost everyone so, says that's not going to happen. So then the, the question is, is why are they still paying him for? Well, they'll have, they'll have some obsession about duty of care. He's still... All, all that sort of thing. We're paying for it. It's tax... Yeah, exactly. No, listen, you don't get an argument with me. I'm just telling you what they would say, which is that if he's still receiving treatment for some kind of mental health issue, um, they might feel it's premature to get rid of him. Exactly. But they'll have to bite the bullet at some point. Yeah. You know, yeah. what if yeah. he continues to say he's, he's in need of mental health treatment for another 10 years? No, no, I, we is need clarity on those. You're you know, right. Is he going to make, you, you know, five million quid? Yeah. I don't think people would want that. Yeah. And also, yeah. just, I can't get over that it took nine months for them to, to, to reach this conclusion. Yeah, yeah. You think this could have all been wrapped up and, and sort of buried it. Well, not this buried, is the thing about these reports. They take so long. I know. Yes. I mean, look yeah. at the, the, the different reports that the police are doing. Right. I mean, well, look even... at the COVID inquiry. How many years yeah. is that going to be? The <laughs> I know. cost of these things is eye-watering. It really is. And, you know, and the SNP up in Scotland, the police investigating them. I mean, how long is that going to take? Mm. Yeah. You know, that's been going for a long time. Anyway, let's talk about something slightly less contentious. Yeah. Peppa Pig uh, apparently is ruining children's <laughs> lives in America. <laughs> I've lived in America, and I can yes. tell you their there's lives have been ruined by... No, but there's also their lives are not being ruined by Peppa Pig. No. Their lives might be being ruined by their obsession with guns. guns. Yeah. They might be Obesity. ruined by their yeah. obsession with fast food. Yeah. They might be ruined by uh, their obsession with driving cars everywhere. I mean, also, there are some terrible things happening in America. I mean, I'm not particularly a fan of Peppa Pig. I don't know uh, whether you watch it. I know you said earlier that you don't really watch TV very much at all. Um, my, none of my kids were ever particularly into Peppa Pig. I, I saw the birth of Peppa Pig uh, in, down in Cannes. I go down to the TV festivals there. Do you? The very I do all the time. How uh, I present down there and things like that. Um, the reality is, it, it was there. It was launched one particular contender, I think, with the, the company before it was bought by E. And it was brilliant. And it was there. And, it, and all of a sudden, and we remember good old Boris Johnson going to Peppa Pig World and extolling the virtues of that. But to complain about the British accent, this is one of the things they say: yeah. is that as a result, lots of people in America are now speaking with a British accent. We have the best accent in the world. I don't no, think they, they said it's be... making they ma it's making kids um, bossy and bratty and sort yeah. of and, and that George and Peppa I mean, I mean, before English kids were like it's that. It's actually quite yes. sweet. It's mm. not. It is, and it's it's nice because it's multi-layered. So yes. yeah. children just love it because it's fun and it's Peppa Pig. That that for adults you can see the layers. You know the right. fact that there's this but this is what I'm saying. My, thing my, none of the my kids and the daddies. None of, none of my kids have ever. Maybe it was a little bit before right. before. Not really. How long has it been around? Not really. We've got Boris Johnson talking about it there. Here we go. Yesterday I went, uh, as, as we all must, uh, uh, to, to Peppa Pig World. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to... How's up anybody who's been to Peppa Pig World? <laughs> Not enough. I was, well, it's, it's I was a bit hazy what I would find at Peppa Pig World, uh, but I loved it, and Peppa Pig World is, is very much my kind of place. Yeah, I mean, nobody really knows why he did that still. That was weird. Day. Well, yeah, but he's being Boris. He's just... Because he's at some very random conference. Yeah, he, he was. was. CBI. You know... It was, it was oh, okay. CBI. But he, he lost his way. You might remember... Oh, forgive me, forgive me. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so he well, he rambled. looked as though he had lost also, his way, but I wonder whether he had... he writes his notes. He writes a speech in the cab on mm. the way there. He's yeah. absolutely kind of... So he'll have just kind of 
And it was a glorious avalanche of alliteration. But Peppa Pig is actually owned by an American company now, so it wasn't the best of British, which is what he mm. was extolling. Um, but but you look at the American cartoons, we were discussing some of this, Simpsons, and what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Comes, the humour there is, is extraordinary on multi-levels and uh, as well. Yeah, so, I think South Park's far better than Peppa Pig in my okay. view. But, you know, <laughs> it is. In that case, I suppose we could complain that our children would have American accents. There but, I go. mean, I grew up watching things like Starsky and Hutch. Yes. And, you know, the Partridge family and, and stuff. We love the Partridge family. Yeah. So, I John mean, Boy, the Waltons. Yeah, but I didn't end up having an American accent as a result of that. But I did get a slight anyway, American accent. Anyway, most Americans would die to have an English accent. They yeah. parents are genuinely... I mean, mums get together on these groups. Yeah, I think Peppa Pig... But if they're genuinely complaining about their children having English accents, yeah. they're, they're lying. Do you remember when Madonna came over to marry Guy Ritchie oh, yeah. and yes. to live in Wiltshire? And she, she developed this very... She went tweed. Yeah, she, was be, very she, weird. She, she had a very weird period where yeah. she started talking like some kind of, you know, character out of Downton Abbey <laughs> who was visiting like from New York, of... you know, and going down the local pub and having half a pint and trying to make out that she was British. They yes. do that. You know. So embarrassing. Yeah. I Buying had... a huge stately pile yeah. with their dollars. I mean, yeah, I mean, I lived in... Uh, my wife was American and we moved to Wiltshire and... Um, Everybody in the village knew that she was American because she was constantly shouting, you know, because <laughs> that's what they do. They're quite loud. And also every workman within about a sort of 30-mile radius used right. to turn up knowing that they'd be able to charge her 300 quid to do something, <laughs> you know, lopping trees, you know, sorting out the, right. the whatever it was. Yeah, so um, Americans are very much in love with Britain. I'm surprised they've suddenly turned on Peppa Pig. I, I find it extraordinary because they do. Every time you go to America, I say every time, they, they always want you to order several times because they yeah. love the British accent. Yeah. So to have these little children growing up with the British accent has got to be good. You would think. Yeah. That's enough bashing of Peppa Pig. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we can bother to be talking about the Willy Wonka Glasgow event, oh. refunds, but we'll come back to that. Um, you're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stay tuned uh, for this one because MPs and industry chiefs have warned that new government net zero proposals could see you hit by a £1 billion toaster tax. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk TV. Now it's time for this. The World of Work. Have you ever wondered what happened to the old toaster you threw out last year? or the sandwich maker you got last Christmas and gave up on by the summer. You might think you just left it to the men working at the local dump to dispose of it in some kind of environmentally friendly way. Well, the chances are you'd be wrong, because most of the old discarded electrical goods that find their way through the recycling system don't actually get recycled at all. That's right, they mostly end up in landfill. So when you got in your car, drove all the way to the dump and carefully placed the old telly in the bit where it's marked electrical goods, you were actually done. And the bad news is the net zero recycling con is about to get much worse. Thanks to DEFRA, that's the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, there's a new plan afoot. They want electrical retailers to take back all old electrical goods, even if they didn't sell them to you. And they'll have to do it by law. The government says this new toaster tax is necessary to keep the old gadgets and gizmos from cluttering up the environment. But in truth, the policy might well create more fly-tipping and dumping of the very goods in unauthorised places. Helen Dickinson from the British Retail Consortium says the new policy could cost companies £1 billion or more every single year, which, of course, they would pass on to the consumer. So that's bound to increase the price of everything they sell. Another unintended consequence of the new policy could be that shops like Boots simply stop selling anything electrical to save themselves the trouble of being forced to collect your old washing machine. The whole thing sounds insane, doesn't it? 
And it's hardly in keeping with what Rishi Sunak promised to do, which was to take a more pragmatic approach to net zero targets and even avoid some of the more nutty EU ideas. Well, I'm afraid this is one of them. As you might imagine, the plans are opposed by all the major high street retailers, not least because of the bit that would force them to collect your old white goods just because you bought a coffee machine. They're also likely to be ordered to pick up things that you might have ordered online. Once again, handing the win to those who don't pay for shops' premises you can actually visit. More proof that the recycling business is complicated, difficult and more than likely misused at every stage. Net zero, the reality, is starting to look like a nightmare. Someone sensible needs to end it now. The world of woke. So the panel is still with me. See, that's another mad story from Net Zero. Unintended consequences of saying, if you bought, for example, any kind of item from Boots, say yes. you bought, I don't know, a curling iron or something, um, you can make them come and take away your old washing machine. <laughs> and they're going to go, well, I'll tell you what, we're not going to sell the curling iron then. Well, well, exactly. We have such a problem with this. So much stuff is kind of, you can't ever fix it. So something, something goes hmm. wrong with your washing machine. Oh, no, you know, it's completely redundant. Yeah. You can't change that part. You want to chuck it out and buy another one, love. Right. So then you're basically putting a washing machine that's one years old, two years right. old in landfill. Yeah. What we need to do is make things fixable. In well, the that old would be days, good. you used to be able to open your hairdryer, yes. put in a new fuse, and then put it back together. Right. Now you. But now it they'll in. charge you sort of two hundred quid to fix it. Yeah, you can crazy. buy a new one for two hundred and fifty, right? Yeah, so and, and, and that's the problem. Everything is disposable on that yeah, on that point of view. So yeah. it's got to go somewhere. The cost is going to filter down, uh, and, and that's the result of sort of knock-on effect. Yeah. But, but crazy. Exactly right. Right. Let's talk about some of the stories in the papers. Where's William? We haven't really touched on the royal family yet. Yes. We were talking earlier uh, to Michael Cole, mm. but it is. I mean, I don't know if you share. My, I mean, I, initially I was like, you know, it's not our business. Let's not look into yeah. any of this yeah. too much. However, there's a sort of happy medium, I think. And now because of what happened today with William saying that he had some personal matter, yes. which I know a lot of people have said could be anything. Right. But it's kind of, it's a bit odd. Well, it's, it? it's the point you made before, isn't it? You sort of turn around. If you're going to be so public about some of it, yeah. uh, then all of a sudden you're going to speculate. So that we've been told it's not to do with the death mm. of the unfortunate thing. It's not to do with yeah. Kate. So the question is, well, what is it? I mean, funnily mm. enough, it's women that are asking me the questions about Kate. Because, yeah. you know, we know that there are certain yeah, operations that you can have. Yeah. But they tell me, well, you know, well, I had a friend that this happened to, but she was back driving a car after two weeks. And, yeah. you know, all sorts of suggestions that, you know, this length of time is unusual at the very least. I've been hearing other things about Kate as well today, uh. and I think there's so much... I veer between feeling that this is, come on, it could be he's got a runny tummy, he pulled out yeah. every last minute. But wouldn't you His just say name you had a was already printed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Wouldn't... But, 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 and they are entitled, as you and Michael both saying, they are entitled to their privacy, and we would all expect our privacy, but we are also entitled to know if there is something going on. Yes. It just, yes. It's so difficult And also, there is a lot going on in the royal family. Yeah. Yes. In, in, on At top the of moment. It, all this terrible um, discovery of, of, uh, of, of the, the young guy, 45 years old, sure. yeah. you know, dead. It's no, just it's awful. But to be fair, did we know in the first place that William was going to go? So why? So the story sort of broke that he was going to go, but now right. he's not. Well, apparently it's a long-term engagement, so right. it was yeah. obvious... But his name was, was on the godfather. order yeah. of service. Yeah. Yeah. He was going to give the, give the eulogy mm. for his godfather. Yes. And so he sort of strange. made himself the story by, you know... Right. I mean, the other, the other sort of side issue about the story is, and I don't know if you saw the actual footage, but uh, Prince Andrew and his former yes. wife, Fergie, appear mm. to be sort of at the front... Quite at the front, of, yeah. ...of the royal group. And they're allowed to, yeah. walking to go around. to these family events, aren't they? Which just feel, feels... It's extraordinary. And again, Fergie is... And he's looking very pleased with himself, He's looking very pleased, mm. grinning, because mm. he's back in front and centre. And so Fergie's been brought out after all this time. Yeah. She spoke about her own cancer... 
issues. Right. Um, and, and I think you're, you're right, you're just putting the spotlight and the question has to be, why is this being done mm. in this way? And I think there'll be people, there it is, that's what you can see there as he's walking down looking yes. very pleased with himself. I mean, it, certainly we talked about America. I mean, their attitude to the Royal Family, they'll be looking at this because they don't have the same, you know, standoffishness that we mm. have. They'll be going, what's going on? Yes. You know, what, is there some kind of curse? You know, <laughs> why, you know they'll, be saying, they'll be writing that story. And it's know personal to operate. say, to release it as it's personal matters. Yeah immediately begs the question, well, what is it? Yeah. Even though he yeah. is entitled to a personal right. life. I mean, it could be something to do with one of his kids. I mean, who knows? Yeah. But, but mm. it's, just, it's just odd. But, but talking about an enlarged prostate is personal, and this is why we're going to go down that route. Yeah. You need to turn yeah. and say, you either have transparency... Yeah, you can't you go There's halfway. been a change yeah. of tone. And, and it's what now... you said about commenting about... But this about is what I was saying about Prince William the other day exactly. and, and his pronunciation about Gaza. Yeah. You know, because suddenly when there's something else terrible yeah, happens in the world... We'll need to hear from Prince William. Yes. Yeah. Well, otherwise, he doesn't care about it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the danger yeah. of becoming uh, suddenly an ordinary so member. Of why are we not the being told that? Absolutely. You know, if he wants to be have a TV show, come and work at Talk TV. You know, you can't be the heir to the throne and do that. Mm. I think it was though assumed that it would be to do with the death of Tom Kingston, but then actually his they've parents sort of were there. It's his not par- that. His, sorry, his well, parents said in very law. Specifically, yeah. it's not. Right. His parents um, in law so... were at the ceremony today. So. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Uh, Another sort of royal connected story, Royal Marine amputee Ben McBean. He was on Talk TV earlier today with uh, Kevin O'Sullivan and Alex Phillips. Yes. Um, He was hailed by Prince Harry as a real hero. He lost an arm and a leg in Afghanistan. Um, They've since fallen out because he has said a few things that Harry didn't like about the fact that he was kind of dissing his time in the the armed forces. But the remarkable story here is that he's an ex-commando. He would have had a priority parking disabled sticker, yes. which was in, was needed to be renewed. They haven't renewed it. They've refused to give it to him on the grounds that he's not disabled enough. And you see the picture of him. Um, he's clearly disabled. Well, the, the, he, the reason they took it away, so he used to have one. They say they yeah. took it away after he ran in the marathon with a prosthetic. Yeah, leg. right. Mm. Um, and so that was, that's what they cited as, as the reason. But as he says, look, how disabled do I have to be? Right. He ran to in the marathon the because he's an absolute blooming warrior. Exactly. Isn't he? exactly. He's an amazing exactly. guy. And I was just saying, I saw someone the other day in a car park getting out of their vehicle with a clearly, with a blue badge, a disabled badge clearly not disabled yeah. and yeah. I know not all disabilities are visible but this man was physically very yeah. very able sprinted out of his car sprinted and actually into the you shop see that a lot with his disabled yeah. badge yeah. you do see that a lot and, and they have is... now issued like all these um things that we look at every single day mm. they have issued more disabled badges I think than ever right. in the last yeah. in the last oh and like, it's always months. somebody's mom and they're doing the yeah. shopping right. for their mom who's disabled yeah, or whatever yeah. but, but again, then to need... take it away from a real hero yeah. Yeah. you need clarity what he said there's so many boxes he didn't quite tick the right boxes and therefore didn't it's get it it's ridiculous isn't it? it it is ridiculous and so what you need to do he's is have that clarity limbs. in community right. he's got one arm and one leg right. yeah and well, he was really saying, when he was talking to Kevin and Alex today, he said that he particularly needed a, 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 a sticker at the moment because he's broken his ankle. And yes. he said, it's the only one I've got. Right. And you kind of go, it's, it's amazing, you know. Yeah. And you'd think the council would be able to sort of give him a, you know, have just apologised and given him a, a, a bat. You would think but so. But in this, it says, you know, they, they want to speak to him personally. Yeah, but we can't come on individual yeah. cases. I mean, do me a favour. Yeah. Give me a break. Just get on He's in the well, sun, the, 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 right? Yeah. He's on telly. The, cab- the yeah. Cabinet Office are saying that they're looking at the situation, no, being probed by officials. Send him yeah. a badge. God help us. Exactly. £16 for a pack of cigarettes. Oh. This is, this this is, is really the front depressing. Page this is really funny. Also in the sun as well. Uh, the price of a packet of 20 cigarettes uh, is going to hit £16. Thank God I gave up, is all I can say. Yes, yeah. Um, apparently, this is Jeremy Hunt's plan to launch a budget war on smoking and vaping. Well, I mean, all, all it's going to do is just encourage people to buy cigarettes abroad. I mean, when, when well, I... Well, also black market cigarettes, yeah. which yeah. come from abroad. But yeah. w- when I used to smoke, uh, I, would, I would just go and get 
cartons of cigarettes from wherever I was on holiday. Yeah. Um, and that was when it was probably about 10 It was actually in those days, it was worth getting a 20 pound EasyJet flight, wasn't it? Yeah, to, it really to some was. foreign place. <laughs> yeah. Just buy loads of cigarettes, come back, and you made 100 quid. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the other thing as well, though, they're all saying that he may not have any room at all to play around with the budget. Maybe this is the way of getting some extra money in so he can give it away somewhere else. Um, because well, people are sort of looking at that. I mean, what makes me laugh is that. You would have. I, I was a smoker as well. You yeah, were a yeah. smoker. You were. We were smokers. You would have paid that. Like it, mm. the, even then, co cigarettes costing five pounds for twenty, and then they went up yeah. to six pounds, and it always just seemed. But you carried on. It, this is why drug addicts are addicted to drugs. Yeah. You carried on paying, and now sixteen pounds. I mean, I gave up in twenty seventeen, and I think they were twelve or thirteen quid. Then. Oh, I gave up in two thousand seven when they so, brought yeah. in that whole. I think they were already around twelve, thirteen pounds when I was smoking. That is a lot of money yeah, for twenty cigarettes. When I worked I mean, out, it was costing me. Five thousand a, a cigarette. That's already like, well, give yeah. me a pound then. Yeah, I stopped giving them away. I was exactly. Like, well, that's <laughs> up to you. I, I don't know what this war on on smokers is really all about. I mean, well, to get money. Yeah, yeah, yeah obviously it's, we have got stuff to about money. trying to right. stop young people smoking, but actually. We, we should really be warning people to smoke because no. we want people to die younger. Exactly. They, they spend, there you know, is, the taxes... See, that is a very good point. Yeah, very the... good point. Guys, we've got to go. Thank you so much. Fantastic stuff. Uh, you've been watching Independent Republic and Mike Graham. Thanks to everybody. See you tomorrow at 8pm.